Welcome to ArchiSpeak, the podcast that talks about what it's like to work in the profession of architecture. So uh, I was on a, I guess it's a final jury for the students that we were working with at Auburn. Oh, yeah. And one of the jurors had made reference to powers of 10. And I was just I, like, must have, you know, just beamed across the zooms because he he said it and I just smiled like, yes, somebody <laughs> finally, maybe I might be the, I felt like I was the only person ever quoting or referencing or trying to use powers of 10 as a educational reference point. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when he said it, because, I mean, and it was very appropriate to the, the thing. And it was like, it ultimately boiled down to a specific building within a specific mm -hmm. district within the greater campus of Auburn. And so, you know, he was, he started talking about the powers of 10 and, and then I kind of, ex, you know, in, in everybody kind of like looked a little confused when he said it, even a few of the jurors and, and I was just like, well, it's, it's about the Mac review and the mic review, you know, it's zooming in, zooming out, you know, there's the, there's the old days when, you know, we were drawing something on our board and our professor would say, now get up and take a step back and take a look at it and see what you see. And as simple as that, but also just, you know, in, in the good thing about like all of these new, the new technology that we're able to implement in the design process you know, we're able to say, okay, this building is going to be at this location on this block. Well, let me zoom out and see the block. Well, let me zoom out and see the area. Let me zoom out and see the city. Let me zoom out and see the, you know, and so, you know, you're, you have that ability to do that. And that's the beauty of like that simple lesson that the 10 plus minutes of powers of 10 movie actually is able to kind of like convey is zoom in, zoom out, look at everything, you know, yeah. look at, you know, that that's, I was, I was like, like, I try to explain to people, I was like, that's what we're doing with our set of documents too, is like, you know, mm -hmm. you know, we start with the site plan, then we move to the floor plan, then we move to maybe an enlarged plan, then we move to a call out and that call out then, you know, refers to quite possibly a specific detail. But I mean, all of these things are a way of letting other people understand how everything goes together. And that's kind of what we were sort of talking about. I think what's interesting too about that idea of kind of stepping back and looking at something with a fresh set of eyes is is that that could be a neighbor, right? Like right. somebody sitting near you or now somebody on, on another screen somewhere else. And it's just say, hey, get on this, look at this. What am I not seeing? Right. What am I too fixated on? What should I be thinking about? I always felt like that was a, a useful tool was was just to actually get somebody else's eyes. You know, they say you could put a fresh set of eyes on it. And that was kind of like what you're talking about where it's like zooming out, but it's zooming out to the conscious. <laughs> it's like, who else wants to look at this? That's what a crit is about, right? It's like, yeah. now let's yeah. talk about all the things that I'm missing, right? Or or what, what can I get out of this to make it better? Um, what what about other people's perspectives that I'm not even considering? Um, that That's an interesting kind of, you know, the powers of 10 and the, the larger consciousness. Like you just said, like you put it out there into the, 
the zooms, right? It's like, it's in the consciousness. You put this thing out there and, and people are referring to it and, and maybe they directly heard it. Maybe they didn't, maybe they just stumbled upon it. But I think that that's kind of a interesting serendipitous kind of a thing that happens. Yeah. Cause I mean, if you think about it, the kind of the issues that, you know, old timers lament about, you know, if, Oh, now that you're not on a drawing board, you know, other people can't walk by and see what you're working on in a greater whole. And a lot of times I tend to like to work when I'm in Revit, I tend to like to work on the sheet itself and work with what has been placed on the sheet in context of, yeah, yeah. So that I can see what is going on. Like, what is the intention of this particular sheet and what are we trying, what is the story we're trying to tell? We've got, we've done all this work. We put it on a, on a page. Now, what is this page actually telling us? That's funny because I don't think of that like that. I, I see what you're saying and I understand the value in that. I, you know, coming from the design side and usually there aren't sheets yet. And so it's, it is much more the, the earlier stuff you were talking about with the context to the surrounding buildings, the context to the campus, the context to the spaces that are adjacent, the context to the experience of somebody walking through it. And um, there's value in both of those perspectives, I think, as further, because design doesn't stop, right? True. It does continue all the way through, and, and it does get to the point where you are telling a visual story slash narrative on sheets, and things are being kind of positioned adjacent to each other so that you can tell a the whole story, right? That's really the goal is to tell the whole story. Right, right. And so when you do something on the left side of the sheet, it could very well impact something on the right side of the sheet. Um, and that's the beauty of what a building information model is supposed to be, right? It's supposed to automatically update everything all the time. And you don't have to go and chase those things down. But now we have to go and chase things down that were the unintended outcomes of a change right Right, it's like just because you moved it here doesn't mean you don't follow it around now and see what 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 else happened Um, and i think it does make a lot of sense to view those when you are making modifications in context to some of those other things this is where that the whole idea of like the uh minority report screens (laughs) really comes into play right because like the more the more views of the thing kind of the better um you don't get su- such tunnel vision about, you know, you're just working on that RCP. True, true. Um, you you, you want to see the section and you want to see the plan and you want to see the rendering or, you know, like the real-time image update of what you're doing to that space all at the same time so that you don't accidentally not catch something like that, which happens all the time. Right? Yeah, and I guess, I guess one of the things that I was sort of more referring to is that, you know, there are a moment in time in this particular case, you know, construction documentation where you've gone through the process of doing the macro view, micro view of the design, trying to pull through. And yes, design continues on even through construction, you know, documentation, maybe not necessarily (laughs) an administration, not necessarily in the way that, you know, we intend to, but where we are at least hopefully when we start documentation, we've made all of the decisions on the design. And so now we're choosing the best route to display that design so that when it goes into construction, that they get the full intent of the design. Mm -hmm. 
and can fully understand it. So when we're going through things and we do have to adjust stuff because now we're coordinating a few things with, um, you know, because nothing ever really, and I, you know, it pains me to say this, but nothing is ever really truly finished design or coordination when you complete DDs. You're, yeah. you're always in CDs trying to work through some issues and stuff like that, which unfortunately is the case with where I'm currently at right now with, you know, just a fast moving project that has got so many different opinions being impl- implemented in the process mm. and they, and none of those opinions come in a timely fashion. And so, mm-hmm. you know, you're trying to, you know, kind of play catch up while you're trying to document, which mm. everybody, you know, sadly feels that same pain all yeah. the way through. And you've, you even said it, you know, sometimes all the way through, even into CA mm-hmm. and, um, and, and it's, and it's, you know, trying to stay ahead of all of that while actually trying to make sure that this, the Ikea, um, Ikea instructions that you're creating for everybody to understand are understandable. That's when that extra set of eyes really comes that in exactly. handy because everybody is just, I'm so sick of looking at this. Yeah. You need somebody else who is not sick of looking at it. Right. <laughs> you know, and unfortunately because you do get the tunnel vision and you do like you're, you're staring into that micro vision of things, pulling back, asking somebody else to take a look at it. Um, asking somebody else to, to say, is this, does this make sense to you? I mean, a lot of times we spend a lot of our time during documentation process, hopefully asking each other, does this make sense to you? Because at the very least, it can make sense to me all it wants to. Yeah. But, <laughs> but you're not, you're not but, the end. But I am the not line. the end. Exactly. And if it doesn't make sense to somebody else, they're like, well, what are you trying to say here? What I'm trying to say here is this. Oh, well, you're not doing a very good job of explaining it. So that means I got to do something else to make sure that I'm explaining it to somebody else. And, uh, and so, and so that's, uh, I, I think that's where the, and this overlay of powers of 10 kind of thing, or this, this macrovision microvision that I always kind of, you know, harp on really does come in handy. It's like, you know, let's zoom out and really take a look at what we're trying to tell everybody. Cause you know, again, and you and I say this often, it's like, until we get to the point where we are building off of the model, the true model, and we're still building with 2d documents, those two 2D documents still have to tell the story about what the hell is going on. Yeah. I always thought it was interesting how when you're in school, there's the basic set of documents that are required to tell that story, right? And it's kind of a formula, right? It's mm-hmm. it's already figured out. It's already got the recipe. It's these four elevations, these two sections, <laughs> you know, these yeah. three plans, whatever it is. And it I mean, but really that's just a guideline. That's right. not that's not reality. You right. have to figure out what is going to tell this story for this project? And it doesn't necessarily need to check all those boxes. And I always thought that was kind of a a design problem unto itself, which is creating a presentation to communicate that design and to communicate those intentions. And you could easily just say, you know, when, when somebody says, well, why don't you have this required quote unquote drawing? And it's like, well, because I did this one instead that tells that story in a better way. 
but very few people actually go through the process of thinking about it like that. They just they just produce exactly what was asked for. <laughs> yeah. It, whether it and and a lot of times you didn't need to produce some of those drawings and spend the time doing it because they are valueless. They just check that box, and it's like yeah, and that's exactly you know it's, what's interesting is that you know a lot of times, especially doing you know public work type stuff, that when you give your you know client a deliverable, they're expecting. X, Y, and Z. Let me check off yeah. all of the boxes. You know, did Evan give me my four elevations, my, you know, three sections and two plans or vice versa and stuff. And you check yes, check yes, check yes. Okay. Okay. Thank you. And then let's move on. <laughs> and you're just like, yeah, but do you really understand what's going on here? It's kind of crazy, right? Because sections and elevations are free now. It's uh, yeah. like they, they're just wherever you want them. Sure. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it doesn't make any sense. It really doesn't make sense to continue with that formula when you are talking about a, a model that you can slice and dice any way you want. And the one good thing that I've seen that I love about the this almost hybrid of documentation that, that we've been going through right now, and also, well, let, let me finish one point before I finish the other or start another is that I, I love that, especially in more complicated, complex buildings that you know, have got a lot of different, like, you know, elevational changes or, you know, it cuts back mm -hmm. to a soffit and then, you know, this is coming in at a different angle than this. And, and so a lot of times, well, not a lot of times, almost guaranteed that a 2D elevation straight on really doesn't help with that, that story. You know, you really don't understand, okay, I'm looking at three different glazing facades and, but what's not really illustrated in that, that you hopefully are depicting in a section is that these are all at three different planes mm -hmm. and, and, and I'm talking more specifically of something that I've got going on. And so mm -hmm. one of the things that we decided to do, which, you know, just seems to be a no brainer to probably some people but, you know, is turning out to be more and more of a revelation as we continue to keep doing 2D documentation for a very 3D thing is... Can I guess? Can I guess? Yes. Before you just... I'm going to guess it's shadows. Oh, uh, no. No. It's okay. What is it? It's putting in axons. So, oh, yeah. So, yeah, we, like, well. we do lots of... Shadows help, too. Sh they, shadows do how help. How do you convey depth in, yeah. a, in an elevation? Shadows do help in, in a straight 2D elevation. But, yeah. you know, when when we, when we I've got a building that I've got three floors that are coming into and colliding into an existing building, that then, if you follow that roof back, it then has this big mechanical shaft. And then it turns into this other thing that attaches to another plane of the building that then kind of turns back and it's got all of these different twists and turns and there's really no way yeah. that a true 2D element is going to convey that idea without truly seeing it in the three dimension. So we have used axons probably more on this particular project that I've done in the past. Now we've used axons before to like convey, you know, hey, in this particular location, here is the line of, and I, I love it when we use them for these particular things. Like, so if I've got two existing buildings or an existing building and a new building coming together, what's the best way to convey what's going on with the expansion joints? You do this nice, like, you know, cutaway 
3D axon that literally is showing you here is my exterior expansion right. joint. Here is my interior expansion joints, both horizontally and vertically. Here's where the transitions are and stuff. And then you can key off of that all of your different, you know, sections that go to that. But yeah. at least being able to see everything all together in one cohesive, yeah. you know, view, like, oh, okay, here's what I need to pay attention to when I'm working on this area. Yeah, we had a, a, that science building that you came out and saw us doing the initial sketches on when you visited. Yeah. We ended up doing exactly that because it was kind of a weird E-shaped building. Mm-hmm. Um, had nothing to do with the first initial my name. But <laughs> it was it was like that. You you would show an elevation and then there was an axon that went along with it yep. to, to give that larger context. And that also kind of worked its way into the building. We would do that for more complicated areas like the main lobby stair to actually show. It was... It just told the story better, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. getting back to what we were talking about and why why would you... And, and what's so funny is how controversial these <laughs> ideas are to people who've been in the business for a long time. It's like, you're going to do what? You're, you're, you, you're not turning shadows on in those elevations. Exactly. It's like, that's blasphemy. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It's kind of blasphemy. For, and it's like, you're going to put axons on the elevation sheets? What are you... What are you? That's crazy. And then, mm-hmm. and then it's like it was funny because you could actually watch their minds change like, as they saw, oh. it. and they're like, "Why don't we do this on every project?" <laughs> exactly. <laughs> because now it's free, right? Like that's the thing. Is yeah. you yeah, would have never exactly. done that before because it would be a very complicated drawing that you would have to redo many, many times mm-hmm. as the design changed. And now it's it's just constantly being updated, and there it is. That's a view sitting on a sheet, and it just updates by itself. And it's like, and this is the easiest way for you to understand what the hell I'm trying to do in this space. Right. Is, look, here it is. Here is the space. I'll tell you, actually, one of the most controversial, um, I, I guess, documentation things that I tried to implement. And um, I, I literally had a lot of pushback from a client who's just like, we, you know, we that's not part of our standard. We don't want that. I'm like, but this is a pretty complicated renovation and all of the demolition that we're doing, I want to make sure that they truly understand what I'm trying to say. They're like, well, can't you say that in notes on your, you know, your sec, your basically plans and elevations? I'm like, I can, but if I'm trying to tell them, here's your wall and I want you to keep this, 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 and this, but I don't want you to keep this, 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 and this, the easiest way for me to do that is to take a photograph, drop it in the drawings, and basically point to what is to stay, what is to go. Yeah. And then they literally can say, picture, wall, picture, wall, and say, yeah. okay, mark that, 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 and that to stay, and all of the rest of it goes. And I got so much pushback on it. I was like, it, but they're like well you know we we just feel it is very unnecessary and it just makes the documents too big for us to you know to really you know have issued and I, and it was just I, I don't get why you're saying that when the 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 intent of the documentation is to be as clear as possible with what we want yeah. to happen <laughs> so you can answer less questions later exactly and i was like we've 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 found that their their contention was is that they find that it's too confusing and i contended that it takes the confusion out of it mm-hmm. that it actually helps the process especially in more complicated buildings 
that you've got, we've got, I have a building right now and it's the um, issues and contentions from the client are not related to this particular building, but this particular building, thankfully I, I sold it to them ahead of time, trying to let them understand exactly what was going on and why we were using them. And they were like, okay, yeah, I, I see that. But, you know, um, I mean, because this particular one, we're coming into, I'm doing math in my head right now. One, two, I think we're intersecting six different buildings with our one building. And so obviously each of those conditions that we intersect to that particular building, whether it's an exterior, you know, roof condition that ties into it, or if it's an interior condition where, you know, this side of the wall goes away, but that's how the wall stays there. And how do I really tell that person what stays and what goes? I, I, I had the case where, you know, some people over demoed stuff and you're just like, that's not what was in the drawings. And they're like, well, we still got to get paid. I'm like, yeah, no. You know I mean, <laughs> I also literally use it to help me in CA, you know, justify why I would deny a change order. Yeah. It's like, I already told you what we were supposed to do and even gave you pictures and <laughs> you didn't follow the picture book. And now, you know, you're asking for, to do more, you know, to get more money for work that you didn't, shouldn't have done. Yeah. Oh, that doesn't work. So, you know, it's, uh, um, I, I really like the, uh, I like the interesting evolution of using, you know, BIM in a 2D cause I mean, we're, we're using BIM in, in, BIM is here to stay. BIM is, is here to evolve, hopefully, the way that we do things. But when we're still continuously stuck in this limbo between the 2D, 3D, yeah, we, you know, it, it, it gives me the level of creativity with the documentation that we would otherwise not have. Yeah, I think that's where things get interesting with VR and real-time rendering, stuff that just, you know, again, it it's becomes free because it's just part of the, the model I always think it's funny when people are like, how, how much can we charge extra for that? And it's like, well, it's kind of already, it's just there. It's part of it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's useful and it's, it helps people make decisions and it helps people understand. So we should use it for those reasons. You get the contractor into the model mm-hmm. and you do a virtual walkthrough with them before you build it. And things make a lot more sense. They understand how to price something right before all they had to look at were two dimensional output and trying to figure out, you know, the length of the guardrail as it snaked through the lobby down the three levels of stairs. And it's like, (laughs) well, let me actually show you what's going on there and let's just pull it up and look at it. And that visualization tool is super helpful in those kind of circumstances, you know, those circumstances where it just, like they say, the picture says a thousand words. It's, It's exactly that and more because you can get in there and you can walk around it and you can look at things and pull people together and talk to each other and talk through issues. It's funny because people are still push against getting in there. I think that, you know, that either they'll think, oh, I'll get in there sometime. But the ones who do get in there and use it as a decision making tool or to actually tell the story, I think are a step ahead of the ones who don't. Yeah. The good thing about that is, you know, just in the quarantine world we're in right now, we still have to um, get buy-in from the client on certain design decisions that have been evolving. And, you know, I mean, you you can take all of the 2D images that you want and and it kind of gives you 
an understanding, but we uh, pulled up the model uh, before we got on the phone and, and went ahead and, and um, pulled up uh, Enscape to let it kind of churn through so everybody's not watching somebody's computer kind of churn through a, a real-time rendering. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, once it was up, I mean, we could walk around the the lobby space that we were looking at looking at the varying head heights, the varying, you know, ceiling elevational changes and things like that. And just walk through and you're like, Oh yeah, I like that. That's a good idea. Or no, that I I don't feel like that really is working for me. You know, what about this or that great thing about it is, is it's a very collaborative kind of thing that people can, you know, take a look at and just in, in real time. And I mean, we would be doing the same thing if we were sitting in the office with them. I mean, it just so happened that we are doing everything by Zoom and are able to walk through. I mean, the only thing that I'm finding is the interesting, I don't know, hiccup with uh, Zoom conversations is when you're in a meeting and, you know, nine times out of ten, nobody's on, you know, n- nobody's activated their camera. So <laughs> you, know, you don't really see, because you know, a lot of times you, you get to see their, like, I, I was called out <laughs> for... Um, <laughs> When we were, you know, one of the last times we were, you know, at a face-to-face meeting, we were going through a design and people were explaining the the design. And apparently my face was telegraphing my dislike for that particular issue. (laughs) And the client's like, whoa, 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 before we move on, Cormac's over there, he... Cormac's grimacing. Yeah, Cormac doesn't have a very happy, you know, look on his face. face on. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, for lack of a better term. And she's like, you know, Cormac, you know, what are your concerns? Here's my resting architect face. <laughs> and there, she was just like, well, what are your concerns? And I kind of, you know, went through them and, and everybody's like, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. And, you know, let's, let's talk about that. And, you know, you talk through some issues like that, or, you know, a lot of times in meetings and stuff, a lot of times, unfortunately in Zoom, you know, you're talking over everybody because, you know, everybody's trying to talk at the same time because they can't see the visual cue that somebody else is like really passionate about. I got to say something about that, that, that just, you know, it's, you know, that that's either awesome or it's driving me insane or, or whatever. And, um, and so I think those are the, probably the, the next big hurdle of the digital communication that we, we probably now are seeing, this this whole world is probably going to be ushering a lot more of those rather than a lot of like these internal face-to-face meetings because let's just say that as part of the as part of all of me going out to the site you know I got to keep all my receipts and my parking and gas to and from and all that other stuff and expense them and get the you know have them pay the reimbursables and everything else and it's just like oh wait um, it might be cheaper if Cormac doesn't drive out to the site, but we have a you know quick meeting and he pulls up all of the visuals of everything that he would be doing in front of me anyway. And, mm. and then I save myself you know, 20 bucks every time he comes out here, or whatever. Interesting. Yeah. So tell me about this, uh, the design class that you guys are helping out with at Auburn. Okay. So they started off with, um, having a project that was basically a um, campus planning project for a current. So currently the, it's the Hill dorm district at on Auburn, which is not too far from the architecture building. And um, when I was there, it was all, all girls dorm. Now it's kind of a co-ed dorm and it's seen better days. And 
the growth of developer apartment buildings and all that other stuff throughout the city has made a lot of on-campus living less and less desirable because you can get something better off-campus than you can on-campus. And so they've been looking at, you know, well, what are what are some of these, you know, better uses for that particular site? As the campus is growing, you know, they've, they've awkwardly grown um, some academic buildings and stuff well beyond the reach of like the, the center core of campus. And it, it, there's some awkward development going on there for some of this, but this particular space is kind of like the linchpin of like how to reconnect what I was calling the, you know, the, the historic campus core to all of these new outlying developments of academic buildings that are a little bit further away from, I mean, you know, we're talking about walking distance of like half an hour from, you know, like say that we, we did a school of nursing building on campus and for you to get to like the center area where the new, um, see, maybe not a half an hour, but like 20 minutes or so to walk from that building up to where all of the, the, um, new food areas are. I mean, they've got all sorts of, they've got the student union and then they've got a couple of other like cafeterias and things like that, all kind of clustered in and around center of campus, but they're so far out of reach of all of these other things. And that, you know, people who are working within the building, they're like, I I don't go over there because it takes so long for me to get there and then get back. And I mean, you're talking about 45 minutes just in walking there and walking back because you're not going to get in your car and drive on, you know, from where you are on campus to another place on campus because you'll never find parking. Mm. (laughs) So, so, you know, they've, they've started taking a look at, you know, like different types of um, challenges that, you know, some of these new developments are and looking at this particular development as an, you know, ideal place for growth on campus for new academic buildings that are aging out or being able to like reorganize some of the campus where say, you know, you've got a math building next to a English building and, but you've got other like sciences around that one. And the English really probably isn't suited to be there, but putting another math building or a science building there would be, it would cluster that, um, that department a little bit better. And so that there could be shared resources and then maybe creating a more, you know, something that's a little bit more centric to a English building. I'm just using that as an example, as, um, in this particular case, they were talking, you know, it's more about the school of education and kind of pulling that away from this core of other uses, let that grow kind of organically as something that is works with those particular uses in those buildings and then create other cores. And so they had originally started with looking at this Hill dorm district as, okay, what can it be? What should be there? And, and things like that. And then once they, you know, first they looked at the greater whole of the campus, looked at the organization of the campus, looked at the organization from a standpoint of, of different programs, you know, like what schools are where, different green spaces, different amenities, 
how do you traverse the built the um, actual campus, both vehicularly and pedestrian, and so on? And started just taking a look at it overall and said, okay, this is if campus is already looking at um, this area as to be the new home for school of um, school of education. What else can go there? What else should be there? And so that was kind of their charge was to take a look at the district. And so the first half of the um, first half of the semester was taking a look at that and doing group projects to do some campus planning, which is kind of how we got involved because they reached out to the campus um, campus planner and they said, you know, hey, we want to pair up with a professional professional firm to kind of come in and, you know, possibly give us pointers on what they look at when they are doing campus planning and stuff. And they said, who would you suggest? Awesomely, the planner suggested us. He said, you should reach out to Air St. Gross. And um, them not knowing that there is a huge Auburn cheerleader working for them as they were planning it, they were like, okay, you know, business development people were looking at it. It's like, you know, this is not, you know, an opportunity for us to do some volunteer work, but also, you know, potentially just get our names, you know, on people's minds at, in Auburn, which, you know, hopefully it, it does. I mean, I'd be lying to say that I would, would love to absolutely keep working with, mm-hmm. um, with Auburn and, and stuff. But so somebody reached out and said, Hey, you went to Auburn, right? Yeah. And they're like, well, this is, you know, what do you think about this opportunity? I'm like, uh, yeah, count me in. And so, so we went down there and we, you know, kind of gave a presentation on, you know, what ASG does when we first do client engagement, when we start to take a look at, you know, what are the early steps of campus planning? What do we, how do we approach it? And how do we like, you know, continue to process that through to the point where then probably a little bit past mid semester, they switched over to doing a specific building and then taking. So each of them designed, designed the campus or that district area. And it probably had about say 14 different buildings that were suggested for it. And, um, each of them selected a couple of different types of buildings to develop and then um, from there, they just took it from, you know, basically concept to, yeah, let's call it early schematic. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just gave a presentation on their process of, of early schematic work. I tend to liken it more as a conceptual design, more like a scope study type thing than really true schematic design. Yeah. Because it was more they were test fitting what sure. what it could be rather yeah. than... You know, this is in, and so they did that. And, um, I was actually pleasantly surprised at how, you know, not only, you know, the, their grasp of the understanding of campus planning, but also the understanding of how these particular buildings fit within the master plan and long range, you know, planning and all of these other things, basically the same stuff that we do on a daily basis. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think hopefully, you know, I'm to our own horns that it would, had to do, you know, with how well we engaged them and, and, you know, our process of, of talking them through how to do all of this stuff. I mean, we were pretty hands-on with them throughout the development process of just, you know, being, being there to kind of like explain to them exactly what planning is and what you do with it and and all that other stuff. Anyway, um, so that was, and so it was really interesting because as we were going through this, you know, 
the, then we got to a point where, okay, how do we best engage professionals in, um, helping mentor them, mentor the students in kind of like this distance learning, this zoom calling, um, of how, how are we able to reach out to them and talk them through what it means to do some conceptual design work for a particular building that they chose, you know, what type of, you know, what are the key things that they should be looking at? What are the ideas and notions and how to follow through with them? And, and then even to the point of like, how is the best way of presenting that to, you know, your client? Okay. So now you've got an idea. Now you want to pitch it to them and, and tell them why this is the best idea. So rather than, you know, me taking, you know, a couple of students and stuff, the professor had, uh, you know, obviously has a wealth of people that he knows and kind of reached out and kind of paired a one-on-one. And so paired him up with people who know how to do these type of buildings. So like, you know, people who are really versed in doing student housing, he paired up with people who are doing student housing and people who are, you know, apt to do, um, you know, dining halls or, you know, lab buildings or this, that, or the other, and, you know, paired him up with that, which, you know, really kind of helped them out because, Again, this is, they're tapping into the firsthand knowledge of the precedents that they would be doing anyway. I mean, they would be looking for their precedents images and understanding how to do that. What's better than just to sit down with somebody who actually does it on a daily basis and then says, okay, this is what we look for when we're doing these buildings. It was very hard to not direct their design. <laughs> you know, it's sure. like, oh, don't do that. You know, I think you should do this. And, you know, there was probably an occasion where I did suggest, you know, well, maybe you should look at doing this because volumetrically, I think it works better that way or this way. But other than that, you know, I mean, it was, you know, it it was trying to be truly their, um, truly their own creation, their own presentation, just trying to understand what are the ramifications of the decisions that they're making. I mean, okay, you're, you're doing that. Why? You're doing this why it's actually kind of fun it was um i've always wanted to teach but i've taught in practice with the people who i'm practicing with rather than like in an academic situation which i know you can tell me firsthand is a completely different animal altogether because i was and you could really tell when this um when the the one kid was giving his presentation that i was working with that he he really did listen to, you know, kind of the suggestions and things that I said, but it was funny because some of my very natural buzzwords that I use when I'm describing things, he was saying, but the good thing about it was, is that he actually understood why he was saying them rather than just using them as words. He was actually understanding them and understanding why he was saying them and not just like regurgitating things. And, and so it was just like, Oh wait, I got through to him. (laughs) (laughs) I got the gratification. Yeah. I was like, dang it. I like this. It's, it's the whole presentation thing is interesting, right? Because in school you're kind of presenting to other architects. And I think that's probably one of the things that is so different actually being a, a designer or on the presentation team when you are speaking to clients is you you can't speak the architect language you have right. to 
Right. You have to speak the language that they speak, and, it, and then it, it kind of breaks down into what sector you're in, how familiar are they with doing building projects, um, stuff like that. And it does change, and you kind of have to be a chameleon in that kind of a sense to, to speak different languages for different groups. We have, on occasion, we have a, a presentation coach or whatever come in and work with people, especially like if we're going after a really big project and stuff, you know, we will have the team assembled, we will go through the presentation basically give pointers on how each person could either better or change or whatever their method of presenting so that we could better land the job. And um, one of the things that always kind of stood out to me when I worked with him was, you know, he kept referencing um, Jack Welch, the former CEO of uh, GE. And Jack Welch's you know, multiple degrees and, and everything else and didn't really need to have to tailor or cater to anybody really. I mean, you know, it's the CEO of GE doesn't really, but he always believed that the best way to present to people is in a very plain spoken manner. Don't speak, you know, don't speak down to people. Just tell them, you know, straight out, this is what it is in very simple language. Don't try to flower up the language. Don't try to Arca speak them. <laughs> yeah, it's totally that that exact thing. It's like what, they, they'll stop you. What are you trying to say? And exactly. you say what you're trying to say, and they say, "Just say that." <laughs> you know, it's the just you know the juxtaposition, the juxtaposition right. of the interstitial space and in, in the blah 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 blah, and you're just like, "What does all of that mean?" You know, and, and yeah, our you know like when we're talking to somebody about, um, you know, all of these different things, people get it and they're like, "Okay, yeah, yeah, I understand." But when we're talking to you know non-architects, they could be looking at us with two heads, and you know being able to present to them in a very clear, concise, and just straightforward manner, which I've never really had much trouble with because I probably don't know half of the speak words out there that I should know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that, and it's and it's probably just the fact that you know I, I will definitely say that the military did help me in a lot of cases because I was dealing with so many different people. And as I started to, you know, go from, you know, private to a specialist and then into becoming a sergeant and then, you know, becoming an instructor and all these other things, I need to interface with people that came from all different walks of lives and Mm. being as plain spoken as possible and being as clear as possible and not sugarcoating the intent, but just simply laying the intent out, but in a simple, clear, concise manner was probably the one thing that I learned from the military and trying to elevate, you know, elevate their education without, you know, making them feel like, Oh, I'm an idiot because I don't know what, you know, juxtaposition means or whatever Mm. means over there, (laughs) over there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, and so I, I always learned that that was probably the easiest way to do that is not flower stuff up. And I think that was kind of like the whole intent of us, like, you know, doing this so early on, you know, with the evolution of the name of the, of the podcast was just like, you know, yeah, I mean, people think that we're so inaccessible and then going back to what we were talking about on the last show, you know, people were, feel like we're inaccessible because we try to flower up things and puff ourselves up sometimes when we really don't need to. And if we became more accessible and we, we did, you know, design for that 
99% that, you know, we were kind of talking about that we sometimes never really have access to, maybe we'd get more access to them. Maybe they would realize, oh, you're, you're not trying to be greater than us. You're just trying to help us. You know, I think the theme of this recording today is communication, right? I mean, we, communication is the most important part of what we do, I believe, right? If, if you can't communicate the ideas, you, they will never build the ideas. Then there's lots of steps along the way. And the one we're talking about now is kind of communicating with clients and speaking a common language with clients. But the, the reason why is to create a connection with clients. Because if you can create connection and you can inspire, people get excited about doing the project and then they have ownership in it because they are actually feeling like their ideas also have value in the process. And so when you have that kind of inclusion with a client through your communication, you're not creating separation, you're creating inclusion by connecting with them, you really do get the kind of, and it's not just about getting buy-in, but not really thinking of a better way to say it right now, right? But it, no, no, it's, yeah. it, 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 it Ownership. Is, it's us. It's it's yeah. we. It's yes. not you. Yeah. It's not I. Uh, and and that to me is the importance of that communication and why people have to work so much on doing it well. And that's why we bring coaches in right, to help, yeah. help to help get us there even better. Because there there are definitely people in all of our offices who should never talk to a client. Yes. That could be a lack of skills. It could be personality. It could be a multitude of reasons. And, and that's okay. Um, but, it's, but what's important is identifying who those people are. And if you want to be one of those people, this is a skill that you can learn and you can get better at. It's not just something that is an innate talent that people have and people don't. It's definitely a skill that can be learned and it can be cultivated and you can get better at it. And that's why these cultures, these coaches are so valuable because they can come in and they can say, stop saying that word, right? Like nobody likes that word. I've, I've, I've heard that in these coaching sessions for sure. Most likely they've never been told that before and they don't, they don't think about it. And so when you think about juxtaposition and those kinds of things. It's like you are using ArcaSpeak again, right? Stop using right. ArcaSpeak. You're going to turn them off. What you're trying to do is create a connection, and what you're going to do is break that when you say that. Mm-hmm. And that that's very important advice, I think. So whether you're a student, whether you're an emerging professional, like it doesn't matter. Like the the ability to gain these skills through experience and through coaching um, are really valuable and worthwhile if you want to get things built if you want to get your ideas across and learn how to communicate those with other people. I will say that uh, as you were talking about that, the one thing that I was thinking about back to the communication through documentation is they're going to build what you draw, not what you mean. And that can definitely translate to, you know, that client connection as well is that they're going to listen to you and what you say. And if you lose them, they they have absolutely no connection with what you want to do. And so you've got to be very clear on the the way that you talk to them and the way that you communicate because then, you know, you are able to get that what you want to build across to them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, because I'm always, I'm, I, I, I'm kind of like meandering here a little bit because what I, I I wanted to kind of really drive home the point of like, you know, the, the clarity in conversation and, but the clarity in conversation is, you know, kind of what you're talking about with the client relationships. It's the clarity of how you interact with the contractor. It's the clarity of how your documents 
you know, interact with all of those different people. And it's just this, it, it all, to me, always comes down to just clarity. How are you being as clear as you possibly can on what it is that you're trying to do? Whether it's, you know, the building of the relationships with people or trying to just get something built. I think that's why we like diagrams so much, right? Like that. Yes. Just thinking diagrams are the simplest form of a drawing to convey an idea. And usually it's a big idea, I would say. Um, Diagrams are rarely about detailed things. You know, just thinking about overall party diagrams. Mm -hmm. There's something really lovely about how much can be conveyed in with such a simple drawing, right? Or axon or Mm -hmm. shaded view or, you know, and it's not about experience necessarily. It's just about understanding like, oh, I get it. You look at that one thing, or maybe it's a sequence of images, you know, drawings um, that convey why a decision was made or what the function of a thing is. I think that that's what's so interesting about how how much information, and that's, it's like encoded knowledge in the most simple form. It's really an interesting concept to me. And I think, you know, our architects, for the most part, I think are pretty infatuated with diagrams. So oh, yeah. it's one yeah. of those things where it's like, well, what's the diagram? What's the diagram? You can keep asking that throughout the the process of design. And I think it is kind of important up front to kind of define that party, that overriding, overarching. It's basically your set of rules that you can always come back to and use as a decision-making tool to remember where you were headed from the beginning. And, and if you've strayed too far, you can kind of go back and look at that party diagram and say, you know what, I, we're not really following that anymore. So is it worth reevaluating or do we just go back to, does it help us get back on track? Um, versus like the, the diagram at the end, which is the one you keep asking about throughout the process. What's the diagram? What's the diagram? What is the simplest way you can communicate this idea? Kind of a cartoonish type of a form at the end of a project and people get it. And I think that there is something kind of unique about that in architecture to really simplify communication and connection down into this this one thing that you can, you know, post on a website or put in a book or a, a manual or whatever you want to say and say, you know, here's the big idea. It's this simple drawing. And and how much can you convey and how much can you cut out of the project that is complicating that? Right? Right. How how can right. you get how can you get back to and that's probably the hardest part is is really going through and coming through. I always I always kind of felt that that was so interesting when you know when I got into first year in college and one we we all did case studies on Craig Elwood projects. And if you don't know Craig Elwood, look him up. He's got really minimal modern architecture. Um yeah. he actually taught at the school that I went to and and so he was not hard to find information on him. There's some great books out there on his work. And I always thought that it looks so simple. And and it was kind of conveyed to me very early on that that is a very difficult position to get to. Simple is difficult. Mm-hmm. It's And he made it look so easy. He made it look so elegant. And it's amazing how much thought has to go into that. So... What I guess what I'm trying to say is these diagrams don't draw themselves and you have to make some very specific decisions to be able to get to the point where you can convey that idea so simply. 
in a lot of cases, I think with the, the complexities that we're dealing with in projects and the different user groups and the, the site conditions and the campus conditions and all these things. So it takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of practice, but I think ultimately that is a really great communication tool in the end. Right. Right. Yeah. Something to really strive for. Let me down a rabbit hole of wanting to sit and just stare at Craig Elwood's stuff all day long. Yeah. I've got, I mean, I've it's got just the Esther McCoy book here. It's old. It's so yeah, good though. I mean, it, it's just, just beautiful, simple moves, but you know, to get those beautiful, simple moves, you've got to have a true understanding of what it takes to, to do those. You know, I mean, things you're just like, wow, wow, that's, you know, okay, that that's easy. Well, is it, is it, it looks easy. I mean, and that's, the, yeah. that's, it is deceiving in that way for sure. Now, I mean, I would, cause of course I'm looking at stuff right now. I would contend that there are a lot of, uh, you know, thermal breaks here and it was it was the 60s yeah (laughs) but yeah beautiful yeah palm springs modern a lot of stuff in malibu (laughs) it's like steel and glass lots of steel and glass yeah you know i mean for some reason people just don't build like build your typical suburban home out of steel and glass but it's i mean you could just do so much so simple so clean so so modern (laughs) Yeah, but not very many people can put that together either. That's that's, that's another too. thing is you got to find somebody who really wants to be able to put that kind of craft into getting things exactly right and getting the tolerances a lot closer than than they do with the standard types of construction. Well, because I mean, you know, most of the time, you know, especially like looking at you know one this one house that he's got these these beautiful cantilevers and the the um, the ground like drops you know away from. Mm-hmm. Um, from this thing and he's just kind of like you know delicately stilted off of it with these like real thin columns that you know pass through the living space down into you know down to grade and you know you look at it very simple moves nothing too dramatic about it be- but because all of the steel is expressed all of the joints are expressed and mm-hmm. we typically don't do that where, you know, we're always <laughs> hiding the steel. Cover that so up. Yeah. It can be as ugly as it wants to be because you're just not going to look at it. And, mm-hmm. and then for some reason, you know, we you know, have to charge this premium, you know, when we want to do architecturally exposed structural steel, um, you know, we charge this big premium of how it's going to look because, you know, we're just asking them to be a little bit more craftier with their connections and stuff. And, yeah. And you'd probably say that I bet they would be more willing to do the the finer stuff. Um, but, you know, I, I think there's this interesting mix between, you know, kind of what the expectations are. So they, you know, they I don't have to make it look pretty because you're going to you're going to hide it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so maybe maybe people guess where I'm going is maybe people, you know, like, like the um, steel erectors would like actually want to. Um, you know, do better, you know, connection details. No, just knowing that they're, you know, it's, it's, uh, going to be seen. I mean, you know, think about this. I mean, one of the, one of the trades that I wish we could put on display a lot more is the electrician. Cause if you've ever like just looked at the conduit runs, I have, I have pictures of it. It's amazing. And it's some absolutely mm-hmm. beautiful work that, unfortunately gets covered over 
Right. But I mean, it's just this, this like cluster of conduit that then makes this beautiful little, you know, turn. And I mean, we, we can't, I mean, we could draw that. Sure. But because they actually, you know, care about their craft and they're like, look, I've got very limited space. I got to use it as best as I can. And so they do all these beautiful little, um, you know, twists and turns with the conduit and you just like, you know, and, and you, you see it and then you just like, God, I wish that we didn't have to cover this over, but go ahead and put that ceiling up. <laughs> I was going to look, I have a picture in the Seattle, um, I think it's called the Seattle music experience. Yeah, here it is. It's in the, oh, the old, uh, EMP, the, is it the Gary building? Yeah. In the Gary building. Have you been there? No, no, I have not. All right. I'm going to throw in the chat and I'll use it as the album art for this uh, section of the show. But check out the, and this obviously was always meant to be on display. So, so I'm sure there's even an extra level of craftsmanship here, but this is kind of what you're talking about. <laughs> it's, it's very, uh, cause this one has integrated lighting and, yes. but it's, it's just, it's just gorgeous. And it, and it was like, how can you not want to take a picture of this? Right. Right. Museum of Pop Culture, for those interested. The Museum of Pop Culture in Seattle. So the the buildings that I've done throughout the course of my career have stuff like this. Oh, yeah, totally. I have photos over. from my... Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and, you, and you grab that picture before it gets covered over. <laughs> and you're just like, oh, gosh, that's just... It's, you know, some amazing just... You know, it's just like, look, I... I it's craft, I, yeah. Exactly. And... You know, they're, they're bending the conduit and all of these, you know, like a run of like, say, 16 inch and a half uh, conduit that's just going to all sorts of different directions, but originating from the same location. And they all have to like do this little dance that comes up and moves around like these little tight spaces. And then look on that left wall over there towards the upper corner yeah. and you can see how it goes up and over a sprinkler head. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just barely a little, little maneuver there. To get it coordinated with the sprinkler head. So cool. And so when we walk through and we look at like this stuff and you're just like, mm, you know, this is amazing. This just should have, this must have been, you know, really designed to, um, you know, to, to do this. And, and then, you know, an electrician's just like, yeah, we do this all the time. Right. <laughs> it's normal. Like, yeah, but they do take pride in that work for sure. And it, it, yeah. it, it shows when you, when you see those runs where, you know, everything's coming together into one place and, and, and all these conduits are tightly spaced and perfectly bent so that they go off in their different directions. And it's like, wow, you, you really, you know what you're doing. It's, it's really cool to see that kind of craft applied to something that is ultimately going to get covered up. Cause you know, if you were just doing this yourself at home or whatever, you, you would never spend the time to do that. But in this case, like it actually makes the other people's job who are coming in after you easier Right, mm -hmm. because they yeah. did spend the time to do it well, bef you know, knowing that they're part of a larger sequence. And like, I guess this kind of goes back to what you were talking about in the last episode, where just understanding that you that this is a part of the larger whole and that it's important, all of it's important. And so you got to spend the time to do this well now, so that others who are relying on you can come in later and and just be able to work with what they inherit. Yeah, it's pretty cool. The University of Maryland, they've got a building, it's the Turner Building, and it was biggest benefactor, um, was uh, the guy who founded Turner Construction. Okay. Um, 
at the University of, you know, and, and, and so this particular college, they're the ones who basically do all of the different engineering for all the different kind of uh, CA trades or, you know, um, construction trades. So they do fire protection, civil engineering, you know, electrical and mechanical engineering. But the, the thing about the building was, is that everything is on display in this building. So you see, you know, you know, people were asked, we, in fact, actually the, that particular Auburn, um, studio when before everything went the way it has, um, they had come up here and, you know, they, we were touring different campuses and we were giving them a, a tour of the university of Maryland. And we happened to go into that particular building. And what was great about the building was, is that everything that they teach is on display for normal use in the building. I mean, you know, the, the ductwork, you see the ductwork and you see, you know, how it, how it works with their particular labs. It's, it's, you know, exposed how all of the electrical work is. And, and so they designed it to be on display and in a little bit more artistic in the way that it was constructed and, and designed and everything else. But it really let people see what all of the different, you know, what is the things that are usually hidden behind everything? I'm, I'm going to need to find some images and maybe, or at least yeah. just put in a link of all of that. But I mean, it's such, it, it's a, you know, it's a nice, nice building overall design wise. It's, it's really interesting, but it, not only that, it's just the, I think what they're trying to do, what they're trying to accomplish, the, the, tr- you know, the trades that they're trying to train in there, that is probably one of the most well-designed buildings that is conducive for the the actual work that's going on within the, the, the actual education that's going on within the building. Yeah. Building as the to, as a teaching tool. Exactly. Kind of idea. Yeah. You're just like, thank you people. Appreciate completely what's going on there. Sounds like a good place to wrap it up, man. Yeah. I'm kind of meandered all over the place. We, uh, yeah, totally. Do. That's fine. Cool. Well, I will see you on the next one. As long as, well, I mean, see is a subjective term. Cause well, we all see each other all the time. Yeah, and hopefully we're, you know, starting to come out of all of this stuff in the the not-too-distant future. All right, that might be all for this episode, but maybe listen to the end just in case. If you enjoyed the show, please take 15 seconds and help us out by leaving a nice review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. Share it with your friends, and we'll talk to you next time.
Kind of hope for that, and I kind of don't. I kind of like one thing that I really like about all of this is that it forces people to rethink how they're doing things, or hopefully is. I, I'm hopeful that it is, because there were so many things that we just can we just do because that's the way we've always done it, and I think that that is ripe for a, a fresh set of eyes <laughs> to bring it back. Yeah, and I think if it doesn't go on long enough, that just won't happen. Everybody wants to get back to you know what it, what we've always said normal, and I don't want to get back to normal. I want to get back to better. So we have to actually have the time to make things better, so that we can come out of this how we want to be, and not how we were. And at the same time, like I miss people, and I like going to national parks, and I like not standing in a line to get into Home Depot. There's so many things about this that are bad, but I also think that there will be hopefully really great new ways that we think coming out of this because we don't need to think like we used to in, in so many respects. Not everything, but but in a lot of things. Yeah. But I kind of think like if it if we just go back now, it's just going to be, okay, here we are. We're back. This is how it was. And I don't want to go back to how it was for everything. I mean, there's a lot of fine things, but there's a lot of stuff that just needs to be changed. You got to clear out the cruft. Mm-hmm. <laughs> True. Yeah. When everything started to kind of go down and we, we saw the, um, the pending, um, quarantines and all of that other stuff. And, and as the office was trying to decide the next steps and the good thing about the offices is that they ask everybody, you know, it's like, what, you know, what are your thoughts about how we need to do this? And, and what do you guys need to do this? I was, commuting in and I was on the phone with uh, just a, co- a fellow coworker. We were talking about some other things and then it, the conversation came around to, you know, the, the pending quarantine. And I said, this will change the way that we do business for the future forever. Mm-hmm. And we're not quite, I mean, what's interesting is, is as, you know, the quarantine, you know, as uh, states start looking at the way that they can, you know, start lifting quarantine, um, you know, the stay at home order and the and the different quarantines and how we go back to work and, you know, the, whether it's a slow roll or just, you know, like, let's just, you know, start it off. I mean, companies specifically like ours are having that dialogue of like, what are your next steps? What do you want to do? And and almost everybody that I've had, you know, conversation with within the office is like, you know, I, I don't necessarily feel like, you know, the way that we were doing business is the way we have to do business from now. On. Right. Yeah, totally. And, and, you know, for me, I, you know, I jokingly say, but, you know, jokingly with a little bit of seriousness in it, it's like I don't necessarily have to drive 45 minutes to an hour one way, you know, so two hours of my day being spent, um, driving to and from work when a lot of the work that I do 
can be coordinated like I have been doing, can be coordinated just from a central hub of a computer for at least a portion of that. And then there's a portion that I do have to be face to face with people to, you know, go back to what we were talking about earlier. I got to continue that client contact and that client, you know, reassurance that we are here to, you know, help them through whatever process um, or stage of process that we're going through and, and be a part, be there to be able to coordinate all of that. But, and then, you know, the obvious, you know, design, you know, efforts and, and stuff like that and the coordination between all of those. I mean, there are those things that, you know, we all talk about needing to have, you know, face-to-face interaction, but there are a lot of things that we do in architecture don't really need face-to-face interaction. And, you know, maybe, maybe it's me not being in there every day. Maybe it's me being in the office half of the week. You know, and the other half of the week is very deliberate work that needs to be, you know, be hap- happening with certain people. And so like all of that's very deliberately organized around what we need to do. And then the other half of it is like, I can just go down into my basement and coordinate the, those other things <laughs> with other, okay. you know, yeah. yeah. My- no, I think, and, and this gets back to what we were talking about pre-show the other day, the other time was, was the mentorship, right. And the people yeah. missing yeah. out on the senior architect you in your because your, you're in your basement right They're, you're not in the office and talking about that deliberate um crossing of the paths that that just happens naturally because everybody is in the same location and i i'm concerned about that right going back to a scenario where most of the people aren't there most of the time and so how do people learn through osmosis um like we we count on I, I, nobody realizes that we count on it but it happens and it works there probably are some people who who realize that, but it's for the most part, it's just a byproduct of the way that we currently work and people picking up the other conversations that are happening on the project that they're not directly a part of um, mm-hmm. and the decision-making process and how to deal with consultants that are late and how to deal with clients who keep making decisions at the last minute. And, you know, there's, there's so many things like that, that, just are overheard in an office environment and i wish even more of it was overheard i wish there weren't True. executives closed off behind doors and and so people could really learn about the business of architecture and how the decisions are made and and what are the struggles it's not all um just the architecture happy hour kind of a thing it's it's right. like what does it actually take to to run this business and how does that happen when everybody's not on a zoom call with everybody else, right? <laughs> when you don't just have the open mic of the office at your fingertips. Uh, and I mean, we talked about this in a prior episode when we were talking about the, the value of taking your headphones off, right. And just being a part of the larger environment yep. rather yeah. than being in your own world. And and it totally makes sense when you just need to crank on something to do whatever it, whatever you need to do to get yourself in the right environment to accomplish what you need to accomplish. Um, and so how do we create a balance between the virtual and the real to get work done and to help the next generation of architects be great architects? Yeah. It's interesting you say that because I'm thinking about just the way that our particular office is set up and you know, you've, you've been there, you've seen that it's kind of like this big office open pod type office where, we actually 
have made the conscious decision. Now, you know, it's every off there's, there's not a single door in any of the offices except for, um, HR and, uh, our finance department, which, you know, of course need their, you know, specific sets of privacy and, and close offness just to, you know, do their jobs, which is kind of slightly outside of the realm of what, you know, we do on a day-to-day basis. So, you know, I under- totally understand that. But for the most part, like all of the people who are involved with, you know, any of the different types of design aspects of whether it's architecture, landscape, architecture, graphic design, all these different ones, you know, even um, marketing and business development, there's not a single door in the office. And we've have people interspersed throughout where, you know, like my pod may be, you know, a senior architect and, you know, a couple of different like, you know, associates and, and, you know, junior staff. And then, you know, the next pod over same thing might have a principal in it. And, you know, and so there are all of those different types of conversations that are going on. And yeah, sometimes people choose to maybe not listen into some boring, like, you know, business development conversation that going on with a, and put their headphones on. But, you know, the opportunity has been kind of like laid out there that sure we're yeah. able to do that. We're able to have those conversations. And then, you know, really, if you just you know, turn around, it's like, you know, say, Hey, uh, you know, such and such, um, you know, I'm working through this detail, you know, and what do you, what do you think? Or where, where should I look or what should I do? And, mm-hmm. you know, so that opportunity is always there to, be able to kind of like have that cross conversation with variety of different levels of experience, which I think is, has always served us well in the way that at least in, you know, now my five years of being at this particular firm is I've, I've seen that, um, the, that, and I've seen that benefit to the, um, to, to the junior staff where, you know, they, they develop at a quicker rate than, you know, I've seen in the past because they have access to all of the different experience levels and all the different information that they could possibly want to ask. And, you know, obviously it's up to them to like ask that question and, and, and do those things. But overall though, I think, you know, just having that access and being able to open up and, and, you know, there, there are other companies that I know do that as well, but then there are the other companies that have, you know, the closed doors, you know, it's the, the office, you know, the, the, the four walls and it's kind of this, you know, well, I earned, you know, my office. So, you know, I want my office so I can close off and, and get, you know, my work done. And, and I may start off with like a list of things that I need to do and I may not ever get through that whole list, but I'm pretty sure that as I go through my day, I'm getting plenty of work done. And, and if it's, you know, having the conversation with, you know, somebody less experienced than me to like ex- walk through something and that may not have been on my list, but I think that's a pretty good accomplishment to be able yeah. to yeah. to end the day with, eh, well, I didn't get this email answered. Okay, well, I'll do that tomorrow. But this got done. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. All right. You ready to start the show now? <laughs>